What is going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me as always is my podcasting partner, Paul. Playing football at West Cannon may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but I don't want your life. Varsity Blues, I love it. And welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, your one and only Phoenix Suns podcast that is made for the fans. That's you guys. By the fans, that is us. And indeed, we are back. We missed We missed last week. We had to recover from that Megapod, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Megapod, Dave, uh, Tim, Espo over at Solar Panel, Evan from Locked On, and Kellen, who was formerly of Bright Side of the Sun, now... And Locked uh, On. And Locked On, now 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 playing with the big boys over at 98.7 uh, Sports, right? So... Yeah, there, that, were, there were yeah there were seven of us. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, yeah. Yeah, right. One, two, yeah, yeah. You and me too, Paul. We were there yep. also. <laughs> we were there as well. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to do that again sometime. Uh, hopefully everybody out there listening had a chance to listen to it and enjoyed it. So first of all... Before I forget, because I oftentimes do forget, intro and outro music brought to us and you by Oceans Over Airplanes. Uh, check them out over on oceansoverairplanes.com. Fantastic band. I'm a big fan. Also obviously. on Spotify. And iTunes and Apple Music and all sorts of other interfaces, Probably. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been away for a bit. All-Star break is over. We've gotten back into the swing of things here. The Phoenix Suns have at least. So uh, all that being said, we have a win. But I want to start off, Paul, unfortunately, with a little bit of sad news. Just a little bit of sad news. And that is with the most recent loss to the Miami Heat, the Phoenix Suns have been mathematically eliminated from playoff contention this year. Yeah... Sad, sad, sad. I just gave it a moment there, a moment of silence to let that sink in. Now, practically speaking, I'm quite certain that we all kind of wrote that off a few months back, if not longer. Uh, but it's yeah, official- look, we have to talk about mathematically eliminated when we're like, yeah, we know we're eliminated. We've known for a while. We, we've been talking about the reverse standings race for the past two and a half months. So yes, we have known for quite a while. But ultimately, in the end, here we are. It's officially the eighth straight year the Suns have missed the playoffs. And Paul, if you'll allow me to just perhaps go off on a little tangent, a little diatribe here, if you will. A little bit of a rant because I'm born and raised in Phoenix. Paul, while you lived in Phoenix for most of your childhood and you tell people you're a native, I'm sorry, bro, you are not a native. (laughs) You you were not born in a hospital here. You did not spend all of your formative years here, so you are not a native. I'll call you an honorary native. But that being said, I've been a lifelong Suns fan, and I was looking back today because I'm thinking it's been eight years since we've made the playoffs, since the Suns have made the playoffs – I can't remember, obviously, ever going through any sort of drought like this because uh, I think it might be the longest one in the Suns franchise history. But I at least it went is. back to the late 80s, which is kind of when I actually started to develop memories of the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> and from 1988 to and 89, the 88-89 season through the 2009-2010 season, which is the last year the Suns made the playoffs, they had been in the playoffs 19 of those 22 years including 13 in a row from 88-89 through 2000-2001. Now, I look back on that time frame. Winning, maybe not winning titles, but winning and making the playoffs was expected. They were winning 50, 55 games, got into the 60s a couple of times, 
And that was just par for the course. 88-89 was KJ's first full year with the Suns, came over in that trade with Cleveland, along with Mark West, Ty Corbin as well. They drafted Dan Marley with a pick that they got in that trade in which they acquired KJ, and Tom Chambers came in as a free agent. And that was kind of the start of this long, except for the last eight years, tenure of success. Exceptionalism. With the Suns franchise. And again, as a lifelong Suns fan, I got used to winning. I got used to making the playoffs. And now here I am entering officially the eighth year of a playoff drought. And I'm going, I'm, 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 I'm a little peeved. And it's, it's been this past eight years, they've been through like five coaches. Uh, it's been a lot of mostly just downs. I was going to say ups and downs, but pretty much just downs. And sometimes as a Suns fan, I sit there going, what are we going to see at the end of this? Is there light at the end of the t- tunnel? And I figured, Paul, you would be the perfect person <laughs> for me to look at and say, please, Paul, make me feel better about all of this. Dude, Please I'm tell me there's something us. positive coming out of it. <laughs> I know, and that's why I want to ask you that, because you being as pessimistic as you are, if you can show me that there's a silver lining and there's light at the end of this tunnel, then damn it, I will truly believe it. Well, I mean, I think we can look at it from the standpoint of, honestly, it, it took probably, I guess, five of those years, really, for Sarver to really accept that, hey, this team needs to break itself down and rebuild from scratch rather than trying to, you know, build from the middle or try to stay competitive when you don't really have the players to do it. And because that resulted in, you know, some of those teams like that, like, and some of those bad signings like Hakeem Warwick, Michael Beasley, Louis Scola, Josh Childress, Josh Childress, you know, yeah. When you don't have a GM, you make some bad, bad decisions. And that, uh, and I'm leaving that up to say Lance Blank wasn't a GM. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a fair assessment. <laughs> so when you when you go from that way, because I mean, the problem the problem is when you have that many years of expected winning, it's hard to realize. Oh, hey, this isn't always going to happen. You know, we have we have to actively do something to address this. We just, we ran into a situation where we were out of stars and we, for, for whatever reason, weren't able to find one of those diamonds. Devin Booker didn't come along quick enough. Mm-hmm. We didn't find that diamond in the rough in the mid first round. And, and then and so I, go ahead. And so it just, it took Sarver some time to realize, okay, I got to do this right. I got to, you know, tear everything down and build up through the draft. And that means, Sucking, getting some high high picks, getting those dra- getting those draft picks that can become those future stars. Because the best way to get future stars is through the draft. I mean, statistically, that's the best way to do it. Right, and okay, and and I think it also bears noting that obviously, as everyone knows, we were put we the Suns were put. Uh, the, the, the rebuilding was put on hold briefly when we nearly yeah, made that the playoffs help. that one year. That certainly did not help. But Paul. Back to my original question. Outside of, DeAndre, outside of DeAndre Ayton, seven minutes and 40 seconds approximately it took me this time before I mentioned him. <laughs> I feel like that's a new record as, as in the longest, the longest I've ever gone. <laughs> Where is the silver lining, Paul? Is there something positive happening right now that you can say 
Justin, look, here's the start of something beautiful next to DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> God, please, DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> Look at this. This is what's happening. And obviously Booker, Booker's Booker. We've got that. Right. But what beyond that? I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about how Dragon Bender shows flashes, but he's not getting consistent. We've talked about how Chris got we'll talk about Chris more later, but I don't know what the hell's going on with that guy. But we've talked about how Chris has shown flashes. But give me something more concrete than that, Paul. What do you see? <laughs> you, re- you are really teeing me up right here. I'm trying to start talking about Josh Jackson. Oh, but, what? <laughs> well, because I, I, I want to bring it back real quick just to one point. And Go ahead. Just to bring the pessimist back just for a second is going into the, the hashtag timeline. And, you know, we're, ta- we're talking about like the core of that is started with Booker and then it was Bender, Chris, and Jackson. That is That was the core of the, t- the timeline. And going into that, I always went into it with the expectation that if we can get two of these guys, at, at least two of these guys to come out of this being those pillars, I I would call that a success. I mean, yeah, I'd love to – I really hope that Bender and Chris also do turn into those guys that can be those cornerstones of the team, but – we we've got them so far. Hopefully we've got, I mean, we know Booker is mm-hmm. and since the turn of the new year and since that DNP coach's decision, Jackson is a different player. Jackson is that top pick that we were hoping for when we drafted him at number four. He is that guy who, when you look at that time, if you look at that time period and compare him to the other rookies, he is right up in that, right up there with, from a stat standpoint, and he, hopefully, hopefully the improvement continues to come over the next couple of seasons, and he like grows just the way Booker does, and we have those two pieces to then pair with a DeAndre Ayton, with a Luka Doncic, with a um, Marvin Bagley, a Jared Jackson, whoever we end up picking, and hopefully being that this is expected to be a loaded draft in that top six, seven position. Um, we have, we have those three guys that can really kind of be that core. Cause they always talk, when you look at every team that's successful, they want to have three, like mm-hmm. it's hard to get more than three. I mean, the fact that the fact that golden state War, golden state has four is like insane just because of the dollars that go into being able to hold it together, but you can get three and you can hold three and if we can grow those up ourselves and basically do what the Thunder didn't do when they With had, Harden. <laughs> yeah, no, that could be the future. There you go. I I, I totally agree. I, I think that makes perfect sense. I feel a little better, Paul. I feel a little better. You're welcome. Um, now, what about you? You just you mentioned Jackson's development, and again, we've discussed that how he finally started playing like the high draft pick that Suns fans expected him to play like throughout the year. It took a little longer than we wanted, but hey, you know what? It's happening. That's fine. I, I definitely obviously see the development. I anticipate it's going to continue because, again, I was I was like Mr. Mr. Number One on the board in terms of Josh <laughs> Jackson fan club uh, and, and the Suns drafting him. At least I, I, I tell myself that and will continue to tell myself that. But I think my Twitter timeline would probably support that. <laughs> But what about outside of 
Booker and Jackson developing individually, what about their cohesiveness as two players playing alongside each other and starting to figure out how to successfully play alongside each other and how to uh, make one another better in terms of those two specifically as teammates? Have you seen anything developing recently just as far as that rapport goes? Yeah, I mean, it's really, I mean, I'm not the only one who's seen it. Obviously, you've seen it, and we've started to see some uh, talk about it in, um, you know, the various media outlets that we peruse. They they are definitely really starting to develop a chemistry. You can see it in um, just their attitudes with each other, but definitely on the court. I mean, obviously, um, Jackson has been a recipient of uh, some of Booker's, Booker's passes because he's been a really strong cutter recently. He's... Jackson has really kind of brought his game, simplified his game a little bit. I think he, unlike the early years of Alex Len, where Alex kept trying to do, keep doing the things that we thought he could do, but really couldn't. And which is what kind of what Jackson was doing the first half of the season, like, you know, taking more threes, like trying to take jump shots, trying to kind of expand his game. Jackson's kind of simplified it down. He's doing the things he knows he can do. Mm-hmm. And that actually really complements what Booker does because Booker's, you know, an outside guy. And Jackson's been doing a lot of stuff right around the rim, you know, cutting, slashing, you know, getting up there for dunks, not really taking a lot of jumpers. I mean, you know, the jumper's going to have to come along at some point. But right now, it's working. And I'm happy for that. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, I'd, I've definitely seen the, 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 the cohesiveness, the, the trust developing between those two. And, uh, you know, I'll point to a, an interview that Jay Triano gave today on Duggan Wolf, I believe he was on, when asked about Booker's development, Booker's development specifically as a leader, Triano said that he's come a long way as a leader of the team, which I think is great because if he wants to be the fr- face of the franchise, he's very well going to also have to be the leader of this team, especially yeah, as some of the guys, especially as some of I'm, I, well, it might not always be required, but I think for him, he's going to have to do it because he's right. the type of guy, especially the way he's been handling stuff, the way he's wanted to be that face of the franchise. I think it's going to naturally come along that he's going to want right. to, and I think it would be best for him to be the leader of the team. And Triano said, and I'll, I'll quote, the biggest part of it, <clears throat> excuse me, is his start to demand excellence from those around him rather than himself. Even in the game last night, which would be the Miami game, <clears throat> excuse me, um, he turned and said, you got to know this. The things he says like to his teammates subtly are signs that, oh, <clears throat> excuse me again. I'm a little under the weather, folks. I apologize. This kid is starting to step up. He's starting to figure out that he can't do this alone. He needs people to come with him. And I think that's the big part to take away from that Triana quote is he Booker can't do this himself. He, for a long time, and I think this might go back to how he had some of those struggles at the beginning of his second year, he's always tried to do it by himself. And I still think to an extent he tries too much to do it by himself, but it's because he hasn't developed, at least I don't think, that trust in all of his teammates. But perhaps what we're seeing now is the start of him developing that trust with Jackson. And if it starts with Jackson and continues to flourish with Jackson, Jackson continues to improve, hopefully as other guys, other young guys on the team, whether it be a Marquise Chris, whether it be a Dragon Bender, whether it be whoever they take in the draft this year, DeAndre Ayton, 
that's going <laughs> to take that load off of Booker and that's going to help him develop into an even better leader because he's going to be able to go to these guys and know that he can hold them accountable and know that he rightfully can hold them accountable because of what he knows they can do, what he expects of them, and what presumably they would expect of themselves. Right. And I think, I think another thing that um, the, uh, with Jackson coming on, what it actually what it helps kind of establish is it, it really starts to establish a hierarchy on the team mm-hmm. because everybody's known Booker's the number one. He's the number one option. He's, you know, he's who the defense is key in on, who, it's who they design plays around, et cetera. But after that, everybody was kind of, okay, who, who's going to be the number two? Who is the number two? And Jackson has stepped up into that role. I, we've, to an extent, Warren was the number two, but Warren's pretty, not going to lie, he's pretty one-dimensional. Sure. And I was just going to mention TJ. From an offensive side. I was just going to mention TJ Warren because I feel like that poor guy puts up numbers night after night, and all of Phoenix is talking about Devin Booker and Josh Jackson and what Chris is or is not doing and what Bender is or is not doing, and he doesn't get enough credit. But I think ultimately, at the end of the day, you're right. He is somewhat one dimensional, and on top of that, you know, he's the type of guy that, and and this isn't meant to be a knock on him, but he's not the type of guy that you want to sit at the end of the game and say I want this ball to be in TJ Warren's hands necessarily just because he's a, a lot of times a player that gets his points off of hustle I mean we hear the comparison all the time of like a Sean Marion maybe you don't drop a bunch of plays for the guy but he gets his points he does his work and and that's what's come to expect of him but at the same time if we use that Suns team with a Marion and a Nash and a Stoudemire as an example you're not going to expect the ball to be in Sean Marion's hands necessarily if it's crunch time and, and you need a big hoop. At right. least not based off of a design play. Maybe it gets there and he scores the hoop, but presumably the majority of the time you're going to look at that ball either, either being put up by Nash or Stoudemire, pick and roll, whatever the case might be. Uh, and, and I think with this Suns team, Booker's obviously there. And Warren's going to be there to the extent that we expect him to be there based on the type of player he is. But again, you need another option that you can draw up a play for at the end of the game when you know that a team's going to focus, double down on whatever the case might be on on Devin Booker. Right. And I, I find it funny that you brought up uh, Sean Marion to discuss uh, TJ Warren when the guy he's essentially competing for the starting forward job small forward job has been very much compared to the next generation uh, Sean Marion because he's got a funky shot. He's very athletic, you know, kind of rangy defensive, like has a defensive mentality, et cetera. So it's, it's just, it's a apropos comparison. Kind of ironic. Kind of, don't, 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 you don't you think? A little too a little ironic. Too. <laughs> I yeah, feel like I really that's the second. I, is that the second time this week we I've made that reference to you? I, I, I think you I did. Have. I think you made that reference the day we actually saw Sean Marion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we did a little. I did a little. Don't mind me. Just stalking Sean Marion at the Cubs game last <laughs> last weekend. That was fun. Paul struck up a little conversation <laughs> with him. I like how Paul goes up to him and just smart Paul, smart because we're we're sitting there waiting in line. I'm waiting at the will call window to get my ticket to the game, and. Paul suddenly goes, is that Sean Marion over there? And I respond, I think it is. 
And I tell Paul, I go, man, maybe we should get a picture with him or something like that. And then immediately when I say that, some lady <laughs> walks up to him and asks for a selfie, and he very much begrudgingly says yes. Now, he was also having some issues with the ticket or what have you, so I'm sure he was frustrated having to stand there and deal with all that. But as I'm in line, and I hear Paul over there chatting him up, he just leads with, hey, man, you did a great, great job at uh, at, at what was it called? Decade Night or what have you yeah, last Friday. on the halftime show. Beautiful move by Paul, just leading with the compliment and then asking about, you know, how he can, how he's trying to possibly build on that great work that he did mm-hmm. uh, at Decade, Decade Night during during the halftime mm-hmm. show. So kudos to you, Paul. Kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank so we didn't you. get a picture though. I just got my no, stalker picture, but <laughs> I, I think that was I, I think that was the right move on our part. We we you know notwithstand the fact that we do a. For the fans, by the fans podcast. We don't want to be like too big of fanboys, I guess, right? Yeah. Let we them live their lives. Probably should have asked them to be on the pod, though. That would have been a good move. <laughs> hey, you can just come over to my house. It's, it's cool, man. It's fine. You know, We can Skype you in, FaceTime, what, whatever you want. Hey, I'll, 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 I'll drink and podcast with Sean Marion any day of the week, man. Any day of the week. Okay. So that tangent's over. Anything else then on Booker, Jackson? Because there were some other comments in Triano's interview. Probably part of his interview that really was the overarching, more interesting, and more discussed part uh, involving Marquise Chris. Yeah, exactly. So unless you have anything else on Booker and Jackson. No, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. So Marquise Chris, you know, when we did the Megapod we harped on it. I said that his inability to explain exactly what's going on with himself and why he's not able to put it together consistently was very alarming to me. And and the comments from Triano, they didn't really help how I feel about the situation. Uh, <laughs> but but before I get into that, I mean, we look back at, you know, Chris had a good, decent enough rookie year, I'll call it. Um, and then... This year, towards the end of December and into the first part of January, before he had that hip injury, he seemed like he started maybe putting some things together. He went through a game, a, a time frame of nine games where he was averaging 11.5 points a game, seven boards, an assist and a half, shooting 50% uh, from the field and 37% from three-point range. Then he had that injury where he sat out like six games, six and a half, if you count the half game that uh, he sustained the injury during. And... Before the last two games where he put together decent nights, he was averaging 4.9 points, five rebounds, shooting 32% from the field and 26.5% from three-point range. Woo! Right. And during uh, this poor playing spell he's been engulfed in recently, somebody asked him – Something to the effect of why can't you put this together consistently? What's what's going on? He flat out said, I don't know. <laughs> so we go back to the last two games. In the last two games against Atlanta, he put up 17-5 and had four blocks, shot five for eight from the field, four for five from deep. Against Miami, he went 12-6. and six. Uh, He... Shot five for nine from the field and two for four from deep. So that led in the interview with Triano this morning. 
Doug and Wolf to basically ask him what happened, what happened that you know suddenly turned the page for two games, granted, but turned the page to some extent. And Triano, I'll, I'll read some of the quotes, but not all of it. Uh, to paraphrase, he basically said, "Marquise is a nice kid. He's really well educated, uh, and he's great to speak to when we're." on team flights were, you know, outside of a basketball environment. So he asked him if he loved the game, if he loved basketball. And Triana said to him, and I quote here, when you sit down on the airplane and we sit and chat, it's a great conversation. You are full of life. When you get on the basketball court, you start pouting. You're mad at your teammates. You're mad at the officials. You're mad at the opponent. And Chris responded, thank God, I guess at least, because if he said no, then we do have a huge issue just because he doesn't even know how to answer a question like this correctly. <laughs> but he said, yeah. He said he loves the game. So Trion told me, you know, you got to show that you love the game. You have to eliminate the distractions and, and keep focus. And he said that Chris has this mad-at-the-world attitude and that he wants him to have that anger, but he wants it to be funneled in the right direction. Again, this, this to me... I, I, I guess to a certain extent you can look at it and say, okay, well, at least maybe he's starting to kind of get some ideas as to where the issue lies, why he's not able to put it together. But at the same time, the fact that Triano said you're mad at your teammates, that concerns me, first of all, mm-hmm. because that certainly doesn't uh, you know jive well when you're starting to try to develop rapport between a bunch of young guys. And this whole mad at the world thing it's like okay if you want to play with a chip on your shoulder play with a chip on your shoulder but not towards your teammates not towards your coaches which presumably has happened at least to some extent as we can see from you know the the little incident that occurred when he was suspended that one game Uh, so he didn't throw soup did he <laughs> not not that it was not that was reported but who knows Might have been chowder. Been, yeah <laughs> is chow, chowder it's still a soup though paul right technically i mean technically <laughs> but uh, you know ultimately that 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 exchange with triano to a certain degree was enlightening and uh, you know insightful because you get an idea as to what this team is seeing internally as far as what perhaps Chris's problem is. Uh, The issue that I have and the concern that I'll continue to have is whether or not they can resolve and get him to redirect this mad-at-the-world mentality and focus it more on I'm mad at my opponents and I want to go out and perform my, my hardest, do my best when I'm on that court. Because, again, we've talked about this before. He just, a lot of the time when he's playing, has this facial expression, body language that really looks like he doesn't want to be out there. Right. Yeah. So, um, I just, a couple points. Um, the first one, I find it interesting that, um, it is a very interesting just juxtaposition in Triano's quotes, how he talks about when you talk to Chris off the court in any other situation, he's like a super nice kid. He's great. He's awesome. But then he steps on the court and he's mad at the world. And that's, it's a, there's there's something at the core of that and it's trying to i guess we got to figure out the why of that and because i mean that can once you figure out why when he steps on the court he acts this way he can he can help redirect it i mean it's possible he you know maybe basketball isn't 
you know, his thing. I, it, it's, it really is the sport where, at least of the four major sports, it really is the sport where a lot of it is dictated on something that is not mental. It's just this, you are tall. So you get directed into basketball and you may not like basketball at all, but you stick with it because you're tall and you have athletic ability and your, your body says, Hey, you can be really good at this, but do you really want to? I mean, I know we had a friend in college who he was six ten. He was on the basketball team. He didn't really like it, but he did it because it got him to college. And, you know, when you're, being able to get go to college and then potentially go pro based off of raw athleticism, essentially. I mean, and because that, that's the thing. I mean, Chris didn't start pl- really started playing basketball really late in life. It's not like he wasn't exposed to it, but he didn't choose to start playing it until he got really tall. So you really wonder, like, does he actually like the sport? And maybe he's trying to convince himself that he does, and maybe that's part of the process right now. Is trying to find what he does love about the sport because it's still kind of new to him. And he's just been playing it because he thinks everybody expects him to because he's 6'10 or whatever he is. Right. And, you know, I'll be interested in seeing how his last 16 games, I believe it is, plays out. And, yeah, me and every other Suns fan out there, yeah. I guess, and everybody inside the Suns organization. But – it, it brings us to the, the, the idea, the concept, the point that what if he turns it around this last 16 games and performs like he has the last two throughout all of those? Now, obviously, you know, he's, he's on a rookie deal. I, we've, we've talked about the possibility of him being traded, and maybe that'll happen. Who knows? But if Triano is able to connect with him and get him to turn around this thought process, this mentality – into a positive mentality and use it to drive him to succeed in games. And he was able to get Jackson to kind of flip a switch earlier this year. And we've got a coaching decision to make here this offseason. And I, I think that you and I probably both agree that Triano's not the guy to lead this team as the head coach long term. But what are the prospects of keeping him around? Because if he's able to connect with these young guys in a way that actually gets to them, uh, you know, that's beyond doing yoga and cycling and all that stuff that Earl Watson <laughs> did with them, right. he very well could be a very useful piece of a coaching staff. But then the question yeah. again becomes, is he going to be willing to stick around if – again, if – Chris continues to show the success, but if that happens, is he going to be willing to stick around notwithstanding the fact that he won't be the head coach? Because if you think back to the beginning of the year, if I'm not mistaken, Triano was on record saying that he wasn't really all that interested in being the long-term head coach, but his tune has certainly changed at this se- as the season's progressed, especially as of late. Right, yeah. And I mean, I, I think he would be a good assistant coach, and I was I was kind of hoping that he would kind of keep that train of thought and that tone to kind of make it easier. Like, yeah, I'd be more than happy to go back to the assistant coaching role. I did this. I stepped up because we, the team needed it at the time. Um, but that's really, you know, some guys are are assistant coaches, like similar, like to football where some guys are great offensive coordinators or great defensive coordinators, but they just, they can't be the head coach and maybe they don't want to be. 
<laughs> Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips. Too many chargers. Cam uh, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go on. Mike McCoy. Yes, Paul, we get Ellis it. Goes on and on. <laughs> but um but I mean obviously I can see everybody to an extent everybody has ambition and I can see that yeah, this opportunity's there and you know, he doesn't want to shut a door on himself. You know, if the door gets shut on him, that's a different story. But, you know, you shouldn't ever shut a, your own door, a door on yourself. And so I can see him wanting to go after it. But the question is, how, can he handle rejection? Right. And, you know, some people are like, you know what? I don't want to be around that anymore. It's just like no matter how you want, no matter how much you understand the decision, it still hurts. Right. And it's like. I need to be somewhere else and, you know, we'll see how it goes. And the other question is whoever we do bring in as coach, would they want him on, sure. their, on their bench? Sure. You know, cause is, could that potentially cause some kind of a rift in the locker room? Cause you have the guys who really liked Triano as the coach. Sure. When he was the head coach and now they bring in this other new guy. And then like, and then there's camps and there's things like that. And like, so that you got to balance that risk as well. Right. And, you know, maybe the change of his tune was McDonough going and be like, dude, hey, can you actually pretend like you want to stay here at least a little bit so it doesn't seem like this job is just like nobody wants it. The guy that got it handed to him doesn't even want to stick around and do it. Maybe that's maybe that's the game there, you know, create a, create a little bit of uh, a little bit of false interest in it and, and make people think it's more desirable than uh, perhaps it is. Although I will say that I do think the Suns job should be a desirable job because of the youth, because they have Devin Booker, and because for all intents and purposes, and we've said it repeatedly on this podcast, and other people have said it, and Triano said it today, that the team, at least the individual pieces that we're hoping to develop, are trending in the right direction. Some perhaps in a stronger fashion than others, but still nobody seems to be just completely completely a complete lost cause yet and even if it's just flashes from bender and from chris it's it's still again baby steps forward at a certain point in time obviously baby steps aren't going to be enough but based on where the suns are right now i'm 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 okay with it right that sounds like a very defeatist like way of putting it (laughs) i'm i'm okay with it i guess so what choice do i have as a suns fan do you think um, the Suns will have a coach in place before the draft lottery? Before the because, draft lottery? Yes. Because in my mind, you know, if you're, if you're the coach, like, I'd kind of hold out to see where that pick lands. Because if that pick lands top two, that makes this job a lot more attractive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, if they fall to, I don't think, I think the lowest they can fall, or anywhere, depending on where they end end of the year but i can't see them probably being lower than six right um you know i don't i i I don't have an answer to that i just don't because you have to look at it from you know a few different perspectives and that is who's available obviously we know one name that's absolutely available is david fisdale uh, but then, you know, there there's other aspects that come into play like who might no longer be available or who might become available that we're not expecting or are, is not necessarily right. available at this point. Now, generally speaking, 
you know, the first name that would pop into my head would be a Luke Walton. And that's Mm -hmm. not just because I'm a U of A guy, perhaps that plays into it somewhat, but also because Fisdale's been linked to a certain extent, at least through, if anything, perhaps mere speculation, but to, to LA. And if that's a move that LA wants to try to make, then perhaps Walton's going to come available at some point. And then you also have, obviously, if you're talking about before the draft lottery, then you still have teams that perhaps are going to be competing in the playoffs still, that maybe there's a high-level assistant that perhaps could garner some interest as a head coach. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, if I had a you know gun to my head, I would say probably not. Um, but again, it, it, it depends on a lot of different factors that are just unknown at this particular point in time. If I would be all for them having that head coach in place because if they do, then I'm thinking that they got David Fisdale. Because I don't, I, I, I think that LA, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think Luke Walton's exactly doing a bad job over there. I mean, they're what right now slated at like the number eleven spot in the in the lottery. Um, yeah, and and that's obviously quite the quite the. Uh, uh, turn of events turn yeah the turnaround compared to where they were the last few years and and that's where they were earlier this season right and that's considering the fact that you know Lonzo Ball has underperformed and missed some time if I'm not mistaken with injury uh that's considering yeah. the fact that they obviously you know traded away D'Angelo Russell but obviously Ball came in to take that place and you know the with with ball not having as much of an impact right now as perhaps one would expect from the slot where he was drafted uh he's basically turned this team around using a lot of the pieces that were you know in place already uh, so again i don't think luke walton's doing a poor job over there which is why i'm not really all that convinced that la is going to ask him to go pack his bags and leave so um any other questions for me there, Paul? Like good? Did no, but you did, okay? you, did, you did bring up something um, oh. talking about the Lakers um, and that they are currently slotted 11th. Um, it, it's a nice little bit of, uh, I guess, consolation. may not be the best word, but I know earlier in the season, this is the year that the Lakers pick is, is going to convey from the Nash trade. And earlier in the season – when the Lakers were playing just as poorly or actually worse than the Suns, the fans, including us, were looking at it going, man, it would have been nice to have that pick this year. Sure. But now, you know, I mean, yeah, things can change. They can go on a big losing streak and just drop down the standings again. But as of right now, that pick's sitting at 11th, which, you know, Brandon Knight's not a bad return for an 11th, play, 11th pick. You know, when you look at the history of what an 11th pick is. So... From from that standpoint, it doesn't it doesn't sting as much that you know it's not like we gave up a top two pick or for Brandon Knight. Sure, yeah, and and I think I guess I would I would I would phrase it as 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 opposed to the return on investment not being as bad. I would say it just makes it less painful that we don't have that pick anymore. And, exactly. you know, I'm looking at the standings right now, and even if the Lakers went on a bit of a losing streak, that would be needed. A lot of things would have to happen in order for them to really 
yeah, get that pick back down to the top space, five. Yeah, they? exactly. They're I mean, like there's a ten and a half cluster. games. Yeah, they're ten and a half games in front of uh, you know the the Suns in Memphis, or ten in front of Memphis if you look at it just based off of. Uh, the numbers, but for all intents and purposes, with the Suns and Memphis basically being in the same spot right now, uh, they're basically ten games up. And then even if you dip into Chicago, who's right now slated eighth, they're seven games up. And with sixteen give or take games left in the season, the likelihood of them moving that far down the standings right. or up the reverse standings is probably pretty slim. So right, yeah, even it if makes they the, lost it makes the, the trade more palatable. Games. Even if they lost the rest of their games, that would require a lot of those other bad teams to win for mm-hmm. them to make up that ground. So, sure. absolutely. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. It 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 makes the it makes that trade of that pick a lot less painful. I guess yeah. you can say. And who knows? Maybe hey, Kellen Olson bought all of the Brandon Knight stock. So maybe Kellen's on to something and Brandon Knight's going to come back and be somewhere close to a Milwaukee Brandon Knight and not Phoenix Brandon Knight, who, well, really the biggest problem is he just hasn't really played. Right. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. Right. And it 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 could be interesting if he comes back and plays next year and, you know, having the year off, you know, he, he went from being a starter for pretty much his entire career to them being put in that six man role. And he wasn't really feeling it. And maybe, you know, having the year off because of the injury and whatnot, you know, maybe it allowed him to reflect, allowed him to kind of, kind of figure out where he wants, sees himself and what he wants to do. And maybe becomes more accepting of that role, mm-hmm. you know, steps into it better when he comes back. And if, between off-season moves and whatnot, T.J. Warren gets bumped down to being kind of in that six-man role. Having Brandon Knight and T.J. Warren anchor your bench isn't the worst one-two punch in the in the world. Right. Assuming assuming we get some semblance of Brandon Knight in Milwaukee, I would tend to agree with you there. And you're right. Maybe during his time off because of this injury, he's done a little internal thought process a little soul searching soul searching perhaps went on nba version of a walkabout whatever that might be and is going to be accepting his role maybe he'll come back and play play gangbusters and be a starting point guard who knows who knows who knows indeed all right my friend anything else i don't think so i think we're pretty good I think we're pretty good as well. So I will say, as always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully we'll br- we bring you a little bit of joy on a weekly or semi-weekly basis. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at so says Jay and Paul. At Dervish of World. And you could always tweet at the podcast account, which is at fan the, at fan the flames. flames nba i like how we both just NBA. forgot probably because we never use it um maybe <laughs> we should get, get on that one. hey you know what maybe, maybe i'll post a a screenshot of us recording this tonight and and then we can <laughs> at least have some some sort of uh content on there besides you know us just retweeting things that we say <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. So until next time, again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter. Whether you like us, whether you don't like us, hit us up in the comment section. Always happy to take thoughts and what's what I'm looking for, Paul? Questions, but something else. 
uh, cons- constructive, constructive criticism, whatever the case might be. Uh, and until the next time we speak with you all, have a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening. Tut tut, it looks like rain. Just wanna get-